Welcome to Focused, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks and joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Mike Schmitz. Hello, Mike. Hey, David. How's it going? It is going well, my friend. My voice sounds a little weird today. I'm not really sure why, but uh, hopefully I'm not getting sick. But we do have a guest today, and I'm really uh, happy to welcome the show, Matt Ragland. Hey, Mike. Hey, David. It's great to have y'all, or good to, <laughs> great to be on the show. Well, it's, I'm, it's I'm my really pleasure excited to be, to be on here. the show. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt is a YouTuber. Uh, used to be with ConvertKit. I believe you're with Podia now, Matt. Um, is that that's right? correct yeah and um, yes and he does a, a vlog over at youtube and we'll put the uh the link in but he's youtube matt ragland and uh, you'll find him there uh matt does a lot of journaling and we talk about journaling off and on on the show i thought it'd be really great to have someone on the show that really dives deep on it and i'll tell you i discovered you matt like a year ago and the reason i did was i like to do a little bit of journaling myself i thought well let me see what people are doing on youtube and I realized that um, apparently all of the world's great artists have gone to journaling. And I know, isn't it incredible? Yeah, they do this lettering and like they do their <laughs> month layout, and it looks like it was done by an artist and you know, artist, whatever. And I look at it and I'm like, that is not me. I don't want to spend all this time. And then I found this guy Matt Ragland, right. and he scribbles and scrawls in his book. Sometimes he holds it up and shows where he got the dates wrong. He crosses them out and does them over again. And I'm like, this is my people right here, <laughs> you know? Right. But you still get a lot out of it. I think the the point of journaling to me is not to make something that's going to, uh, you know, be archival quality in 300 years. I think it's something that helps. It's a tool and uh, you use it as right. a tool. And I just really like that. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And it is it is a way that I am differentiated, a little unique in the bullet journal community the planner community and so yeah i'm glad that resonated with you that's that's awesome i think it resonates with most of us honestly <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean i don't need to spend like three weeks learning how to letter to make my monthly right. layout i just need to make right. a monthly layout and uh yep. and you get that i will say though that i think matt you do have uh, at least more artistic ability than I do. I remember I saw you present at Craft and Commerce last year, and you had a bunch of doodles that you had drawn in your presentation, and they looked really good. And I still, looking at your videos, I agree. Like I, I like the fact that you are making mistakes in the video, and it makes it appear more real. It's not this real pristine, perfect thing that you're trying to create. It's really the the planning that's the the, the effort behind that that is of, of value. But I will throw out that they do look really good still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I did. I went through one of the things that I tried on YouTube before I got into bullet journaling a lot was this thing called sketch notes, which is kind of like I would maybe call them like high quality doodles. And so there's I can do a little bit of it. But yeah, all the lettering and all of yeah, just I they they look amazing whether you're on whether you're looking at them on Instagram or YouTube. And it does whether you're good at it or not and it just it just takes time and I don't I don't have time blocked out for that, which I know we're going to talk about some too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Mike Grody was a guest on the show a while back and he illustrated one of my books and Oh yeah, and he's, he's the godfather. He's he's <laughs> great, but uh and and his whole point is you don't need to make them super fancy. But I would also mm -hmm. agree with Mike that even though you don't make them super fancy, the layouts you use are very practical and good ideas. And uh, I think that if you just want to start journaling, not get hung up on having the perfect, you know, typography or 
or you know way you're going to write the date across the top. I just want to get into actually journaling. Matt's layouts are, are excellent. Uh, okay, so enough of this gushing for Matt. We want to talk about, <laughs> um, you're a geek, you've worked for technology companies. What's up with this paper and these books and these pens that you're using all the time? How'd you get into this? Yeah, that's a great question. I've I've liked pen and paper, uh, you know, ever since ever since I was young. I can remember like keeping lists and notes and having having notebooks for a really long time because yeah, I I definitely grew up with technology, but I also grew up kind of in like kind of a semi sweet spot of like I didn't have my first cell phone until I was in college. Yeah, we didn't have the like the internet came into my house, uh, you know, kind of around late middle school into high school. And so a lot of like, I mean, yeah, I didn't like with apps and everything that just didn't that didn't exist until I was like in my mid my mid 20s. And so I I did have some habits and like comfort around using pen and paper and even though I, I went away from that for a little bit, maybe like a couple of years, because like, you know, just kind of got caught up in the rush of apps and everything. And like, oh, well, this is gonna be perfect. It's just in my pocket the whole time. That's that's really easy for me. But I realized I'd say three or four, three or four years ago, maybe a little more, that the phone was really serving to be a distraction device for me when it came to when it came to note taking and a lot of the productivity that I do because it was like I've just realized it's so easy for me to get distracted on my phone or even like to an extent on on the computer um like it will be often that maybe I log on to Twitter to like literally post something and forget it almost immediately <laughs> upon getting getting to the site and so using pen and paper for me and then you know a notebook is a way that i like it's the it's the purest form of single tasking to me and all i need to do is focus on what's on the page in front of me and so that is where i do pretty much all of my all of my planning all of my to-do lists all of my brainstorming is done on paper now there are some systems which we can talk about later where i'm thinking about like how do i how do i do like some long-term project and product planning that you know, is undeniably better <laughs> in in a doc that you can save and kind of iterate on but like the first the first mile of my productivity is pretty much all done on paper so how did you you have an affinity for, for pen and paper but how did you get into the bullet journaling you mentioned that you kind of came to edit from sketch notes but what was that journey like yes yeah, so i've been i've been bullet journaling i would say since 2013 2014 and i learned about it uh kind of like i i think i learned about it around the time that Ryder carroll who's the creator of the bullet journal method as it were uh started started sharing on his on his blog and then on on twitter some also about like he's like hey here's kind of this this method this method that i have in a notebook that just helps me keep track of everything and you know, i don't have to like go search through a bunch of different apps or make sure i ha always have this with me it's just pen paper it's focused it's there i did also hear about it uh i, I know another person that i heard about it from is uh is mike mike Rody, and he he had done a post, he did a guest post, I think, on the Bullet Journal site. And so that those two things, you know, working in conjunction with each other was where I started to 
hear about bullet journaling. And it just, it just made sense to me. And I connected with it really quickly as, as a method and as a practice. And I've been, I've been keeping it up ever since there are different ways I have made it my own, which I think is, which I think is really important. It, I just, people are listening to this. One of, one of the things I try and reiterate on my channel a lot is, you know, no matter what you see, and this <laughs> goes for more than bullet journaling, but when you see something that interests you and you want to get more involved with, whether it's bullet journaling or sketch notes or, you know, anything that you want to do, let's even say podcasting, you see something, it's, it's helpful to follow a framework early on because that helps like set the map for you to get started. But uh, as quickly as you can start to make the iterations and the adjustments that fit your own like life and curiosity better and you'll be able to stay with it a lot longer and it'll be you know just more fun for you I like that so what specific things have you done to kind of make it your own and was there like a pivotal thing where or a moment when you were following the the system that Ryder Carroll laid out where you just said no, this doesn't work for me I'm gonna try this thing instead that really made it click for you yeah, there are a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, as much as I like having my main bullet journal and kind of that like classic A5 style notebook, um, Leuchtturm, uh, I think is the like official bullet journal recommendation. And then uh, I use Baron Fig journals a lot too. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't carry that around a whole lot. <laughs> you know, that doesn't, doesn't fit into a pocket. I don't always have a backpack with me. And so uh, one of the things that I do carry around uh, constantly is a field, little field notes notebook. And I just actually put a video up about this, but that allows me to do like just some basic lists, lists and capture. And so I, I do use kind of those two in conjunction with each other. If I know I'm going to be like out and about, I'll just like migrate and transfer tasks or notes from field notes into the bullet journal and vice versa. So that was one one adjustment that I made pretty quickly. But the biggest one in terms of like layout and structure of the bullet journal that I changed is just the the nature of my of my work the past five years at ConvertKit and now at Podia is that I have a you know I have a I have an agenda. Like I have <laughs> I have meetings that I have to keep, and I always found the like meeting layout weekly weekly layout structure in bullet journal in the bullet journal method to be profoundly uh just either can not just confusing but kind of un, unusable because it's like oh you know make i can't even remember what it is but i think the indicator was like make a circle or a square or a triangle or some some shape sure. to indicate that you have a meeting but it would just be jammed in with like all the other tasks so it'd be like you know take the kids to school reply to these emails spend an hour on you know, this, this creative project that you have. And then, oh yeah, you have a meeting at 11 and it just kind of got squeezed in there. And I found, I just, I couldn't track my meetings very well that way. And so what I, what I ended up doing was now, instead of just having what the bullet journal method recommends essentially is you just have an on, basically an ongoing list. And when you finish one day, you make a couple of notes and it's like, okay, next, you know, take a couple of you know, metaphorical line breaks and then move on to the next day. I I couldn't do that. And so what I ended up doing is basically on a single like two page spread, I just cut those pages in half or, you know, grid those pages off. And then each, each half page results in a day. And at the top of the day, at the top of 
the half, I put all of my agenda items, like meetings or things that have a time dedicated to them. And then the rest of that little space is just for other like tasks or notes. Some people need a whole page. Some people need two pages that, but after doing this for four or five years, that's what I found is usually a good enough amount of space for me. But that was my biggest departure from the normal bullet journal method was having basically gridded out uh, daily sections that I could more easily organize both my meetings and my to-do items. There's something I found from journaling, um, and and I use some of the methods I've learned from you. I've got my own stuff too. But the thing I find that's interesting about it is that the pen is slower than the brain, and that's a good thing because it actually forces me to slow the brain down a little bit when I'm doing the journaly type work and slower than the brain, but mightier than the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's just, it's just yeah. such an interesting concept because I've always been somebody very interested in productivity. I, you know, I use text expander for my snippets and all, I do all mm-hmm. this stuff to, to speed up things like text creation. And it was such a foreign concept for me, but I started doing it a couple of years ago because everybody was talking about, it. I'm like, well, let me try it. And I get all these strange benefits from it that I never really expected. Do you find that as well on your your usage? I do. And it, I find that it really helps clarify my thinking, as you were saying. Uh, not just the focus aspect that we talked about earlier, but the ability to really think about what you're writing down. Now, you know, kind of classic brainstorm or mind map style. If my mind is really racing on an idea, then I'll maybe quickly make a bullet list of what what I want to make sure that I make sure that I don't forget and then kind of expand upon it from there. But it's absolutely like it's it's almost it's like a form of therapy to me. And I will say that I make a I make a slight distinction between like bullet journaling as a productivity practice, which is essentially what I use it for. And then maybe more like classic uh, journaling or almost like diary keeping. I do both. And the latter for me is more of that. It's like mental health therapy, like just kind of thinking, thinking through problems, issues, like what's on my mind, like kind of the brain dump of this is what's going on today. This is what I'm frustrated with. This is what I'm really excited about. That is more of a free form journaling that to me is kind of like a separate, separate, but maybe related practice of the bullet journal. But uh, just in case anyone is <laughs> maybe not making that connection, because sometimes it can be a little confusing if I don't like give some context to it. But that is the big thing for me, like whether I'm bullet journal, like bullet journaling for focus on these are the things that I need to make sure that I'm like doing in my work and in my life today. And then uh, kind of separate, usually end of day journaling where I'm just like, basically, it's like, uh, I can never remember the right the right term, but like Dumbledore in Harry Potter, where he was like pensive. pulling, <laughs> the pensive. Pensive, yeah, he's pull, pulling the uh, thoughts out of his head and like putting them into the, the bowl. I'm like, uh, that's, that's what journaling is like for me at the end of the day. I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's out of the head now. I gotta, I, I can go to bed. That's an excellent point, because I'll tell you, having been on my kind of journey with this a a few years, is that I get a tremendous benefit from the journaling part, and I tend to use digital tools for much of the kind of traditional bullet journal stuff. I don't bullet journal as much, but boy, does that end-of-the-day journal. For me, it's like a bookmark to a meditation session in the morning. Right, You do do those two things, and it's like, okay, you're uh, 
you've got a good idea. And and the pensive is the perfect analogy for it because it gives you an idea to take things out, take a look at them, mix them up, even separate yourself a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And what I tell like people that I like people that I teach through either through YouTube or some of the courses that I have that one of the big takeaways I always tell them is like when you're doing this, when you're doing the journaling or the like weekly review, look at it not as so we we have a tendency a lot of times to you know look back as a judge on ourselves and be like, okay, great, you did this fine or good, but this was not good and you should feel bad. <laughs> and I always encourage people like when you're doing that either daily or weekly review through journaling is think about it in like being just an observer like an a non an unbiased observer of like okay well this is this is something that I wanted to do I didn't get to it or I did get to it like this was just a thing that happened and like you said detaching yourself from the process and from the moment and almost from yourself makes for I find really healthy journaling and again kind of like you said putting that bookmark and closing 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 the book on the day sometimes very literally and just because it takes longer for your pen to get the words out especially if you write as slowly as I do the brain uh, contributes more than it normally would. And you find things that you don't think I, like if I sat down and typed out the same information or if I dictated it, I'm not sure I would get to the same places. Yeah. And I find, you know, just, I find that when, when I do journal that I just feel, I feel much better. I feel calmer days and weeks where I maybe have gotten out of the habit a little bit. I'll often find that like for, you know, I just, I have a little bit higher stress level. Like my anxiety gets up a little bit and I'm like, ah, you know what? You haven't, <laughs> you haven't been journaling. Like you haven't been doing, doing that thing. And when I get back into it for even just a few days, then like I can, I can literally feel like kind of the, the calm ease back in, even if it, what's going on is still pretty busy. Like I just, I feel like I have a little bit better handle on it. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Indeed. When you start your hiring process, you might have a few questions like, are you going to get good applicants to choose from? How can you narrow down by education or experience? And how will you know that you've made the right hire? Indeed is there to help. They have millions of great candidates that use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. So you can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help you quickly create your short list of applicants who are a perfect fit for your job. Plus, you can add a skills test to your job post so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make your hiring decisions quickly and the confidence that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash podcast and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com slash podcast. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply, and it's only valid through March 31st, 2020. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So is the journaling practice that you do the value of that just emptying your head? Or do you go back and review those entries after the fact and kind of related? Does this happen? It kind of sounds like this feeds your your bullet journaling as well. So does this happen in the same notebook? Or do you have separate places for these? I have a separate notebook 
for that kind of daily journaling just because it would get to be like I said, I tend to keep a pretty structured bullet journal at this point with kind of sectioning off those areas for the daily for the daily spread. And so that is happening in a different journal. And it does kind of feed into each other. Now, another thing just on like bullet journal, say like organization and threading is I I name and number all of my bullet journals so that if there is something maybe a and start journals in in general. Basically, any notebook that I have has a name or at least like a date, uh, some kind of title that I can reference so that if I am, say, going through something in a day in my bullet journal and I want to make a note about it or I know I want to expand about it in my evening journal session, then I'll basically put in like name of the journal and page number into, into the bullet journal so I know if I if I am going back and reviewing it, which I uh, probably don't do as often as as I would like, but I do go back and review things, especially like if I'm trying to make better decisions or I have uh, something coming up that I need, like just some some information on, or like what were you thinking about this particular like topic or issue when it was happening? It makes it pretty easy for me to thread and reference between those two, and then I'll do the same in the the daily journal is I'll write down, you know, is this, it was this bullet journal on this page that uh, you were, that you were making this connection. Do you foresee, well, I guess how many journals do you have? Cause you say you've been doing this for a couple of, couple of years now. And is there any, um, do, do you think that you will ever move on from this system or do you foresee like a problem as you collect a whole bunch of journals, being able to go back and find things later. How how are you kind of planning for the future with this system? Yeah, it's a great question. It and to be honest, it's still one that I'm wrestling with. I haven't particularly like learned how to make it anti fragile <laughs> at this sure. point. Uh, but I would say in a year, usually I have at least two, if not three, journals or notebooks going at the same time. And for the like I said, those three different things I have the productivity bullet journal, which is most like almost, almost primarily for work and like side hustle related tasks. And then I have the daily journal, which is usually like a pocket size. So it's a little bit easier to tote around if I need to. And then a field notes. And so I have those, I have those three. So I would say in, in the span of a year, I probably go through two bullet journals, two journal journals, and then uh, six ish field notes, notebooks. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely adding up and I have, yeah, probably I'd hmm, probably, you know, 20 to 30 definitely in the office right now. It's something that I want to keep obviously. And, uh, I kind of think of them almost as like this, the reason, one of the reasons I started daily journaling and, uh, even the vlog, uh, before I like kind of pivoted into, nearly full-time bullet journal videos is that, uh, I have two, I have two boys and I want to, you know, like leave some kind of a record for them. I write and journal in such a way that I feel like I'm very, um, you know, honest and the kind of things that, yeah, I would, you know, feel comfortable with them, with them reading. I know one of the biggest like pushbacks I get on journaling, like daily journaling, feelings journaling, if you will, is like, well, is privacy and like, well, what if someone reads this? And I normally push back and say like, well, if you really don't want anybody to read it, 
then, you know, burn it <laughs> or like get rid of it somehow or write it. Or I think that is a good use for a digital journal. But I do want to keep a record uh, for for my boys and, and for myself also. And I, I don't know uh, what what the future holds and what you know, anything is going to be like and, you know, having, having this for myself and for people that I care about specifically from the, from the daily journaling is, you know, something that, that just feels good to me. Now I just have to figure out a way to keep them in relatively good condition. Um, one thing that I've thought about is, uh, you know, Ryan Holiday famously, uh, kind of writes and organizes all of his books on like stacks on stacks of index cards before he actually gets to like the act- the writing phase, and he still uses those cards to organize his chapters and topics. And so he'll say, and I think I've seen picture him post pictures of this somewhere in his office or garage. He just has boxes on boxes of like these are my books. Like this big box is the obstacle is the way, and this big box is conspiracy. And uh, there's something about that. Like when I see I was like, it's more than just like, oh, that would be cool, but I'm probably not going to do it. Like, it'll be the first step for me will be something like that. Or it's like, this is this year, you know, as I you know, continue to do more with, with teaching, you know, hopefully books and something down the road, then yeah, having, yeah, just having that kind of actual physical filing system, as much as things are going online, and will inexorably continue to do uh just having something like i don't know just still feel still feels good to me about that you know it's it it's interesting because um you're talking about journaling for your children and i think that that can be a hindrance like when i do write my journal there is a part of me that's aware that someday they may read them Mm -hmm. but i'm trying to write for my own therapy if that makes sense um, my, my father died when I was still in school, mm. relatively young. It was a long time ago. And right. I would give anything to have some of his inner thoughts, you know. Yeah. And uh, so maybe that someday that would be of use to them. But who knows, right? Uh, yeah. I do think that, though, if you're going to journal, you should really journal for yourself. That's just kind of my take on it. But but it really. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. It is, it is, but it, it, the problem is if you let it filter, filter your thoughts, like, well, I don't, I want to write mm-hmm. this. So they learn this lesson <laughs> from me. No, you're, you're actually working at, for me, at least I'm working on myself yeah. more than anything else. Um, and, and I do think that though, that it's interesting, uh, as people who all work in the digital sphere, all three of us make digital products that have no existence in the real world. There is something very satisfying about going to analog tools once in a while and looking at a pile of books on the shelf that you wrote. Yep. I like the idea of an analog legacy. I agree. You got to journal for yourself first. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would be a temptation or hindrance for me, but hearing you describe it where you have these things which contain your thoughts, I can see that being a value once you're no longer around. You know, yeah. I kind of wish I had that sort of stuff from my grandparents. They were, they passed away before I was really old enough to understand the the value and the wisdom of the knowledge that they had. And yeah. uh, I kind of think about that every once in a while. Like, I wish I could mm-hmm. ask them <laughs> what they thought about X, you know, right? Yeah. and how life has changed. And uh, I think that would be really cool. Oh, I tell it's your dad, man. It's even worse. <laughs> yeah. It's even worse. Yeah. And that... 
and I just want to I just want to clarify because you both make really good points is I think that when when I journal for myself, like in a, when I journal in a day to day basis, that's for me. Uh, but one of the I just kind of have that with the boys in the back of my mind. And it's something that if maybe I don't if I'm kind of off, if I'm out of practice with journaling, which does happen, uh, or I just don't feel like doing it a particular day, then it's something it's just a little extra thing to keep me to keep me going and keep me keep me motivated because it, yeah it's the same thing and i absolutely agree with you i think part of the reason i want to do it in these books too is to leave a legacy for them because i wish i had one for my own father and and i just wonder if my day one file is ever going to be discovered if i get hit exactly. by a bus exactly you know <laughs> yeah and, you know i yeah. was thinking about that too you can print off the books from day one but as unless you do that and it's sitting on your shelf is anybody gonna go look at those things i've seen that with photographs my parents have books of photos that when we're over there we'll, we'll thumb through but we'll never take the time to comb through the thousands that we have in the photos app on our phone yeah yeah and the way to one of the other ways like just with journaling and i'll i'll stop about it <laughs> is uh, this particular piece is i yeah be being a bit of a writer and a creator myself is that if i was to if i was to specifically think of it as like what are the life lessons that i want to leave for my children then that would become really intimidating for me to like sit down and be like okay lesson one make sure you do or don't do this then that would take me a long time to get through and i may never make the progress on it that i wish i would but if i'm just going through it as like a journal and this is what I'm thinking about and this is what I'm dealing with. Not only do I think that most likely that's going to be more accessible for the boys, but it's also going to be easier for me to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's going to be so much more useful for them to see how you solved your problems, not, you know, the wisdom from the mount, you know. Um, Yeah, I agree. Well, well, let's get a little more into the weeds on the bullet journaling side of this stuff. I'm I'm sorry I went into the hippie land of journaling. That's my fault. <laughs> um, I don't mind being there. Um, but the uh, but just uh, you have got some great ideas for bullet journaling that I think really helps a lot of folks. And maybe we should start by talking a little bit about you know you're, like you said you're using it under fire every day, um, the evolution and creation of your daily spread. Yeah, every day, uh, well, I kind of re- I referenced it a little bit. Is every day now I have this like basically half half a page that I look at, and on most days I'll have like three or four agenda items, and for me that is like places that I have to be or things that I have to do at a specific time, and then I'm really trying to get into like the three or four things that I have to accomplish that day that are going to make the day a win. Yeah, so there might be smaller things that just kind of come up and I knock those out pretty quick. Those don't always make it into the bullet journal. Um, So that is the daily spread. And I'm going to pull back a little bit because what I'll also do is at the beginning of the week, I create uh, a a one page kind of weekly, weekly goals, weekly objectives. And I'll say for my work at Podia, for the things that I'm doing for the YouTube channel and for the things that we have uh, going on at home, what are the two or three objectives that I want to accomplish this week? What's going to make this week great? And so I'll put that on the first page of like my, the first page of the week. I'll say, okay, so for you know, February, whatever it was, yeah, 20, 21st, 22nd to the 28th, 
this is what I want to try and do. And, you know, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, okay, we need to take care of this email campaign for Podia. I need to plan a uh, membership program. And, you know, for uh, my YouTube channel, it'll be uh, creating a, you know, going over survey results and then also looking at and saying like, okay, what do I need to do to make sure the video goes out this week? And so are things like that. And what that will then do is I'll look at the week ahead in those sections, those half page sections and be like, okay, here are the things that I have. Here's the space. Here's the space that I want to, that I have available to work on these things. When, what kind of, what kind of tasks and where do they go in the week? And so I'll really look at uh, the week ahead, either Sunday evening or first thing Monday morning before I get into any meetings or anything and just look at like, okay, what do I want the weekly plan to be? What are the objectives? What are the tasks associated with those objectives? And then how do I plan out my week from there? So it is, a, like I said, and this was something that I kind of came to over the years, it's a little bit more structured than uh, maybe the traditional bullet journal method, but it's something that I found uh, worked really well for me. And I can I can kind of zoom out on that even further, but that is that is the consistent practice for me, a weekly preview, looking at the objectives that I have and the tasks that you know comprise them, filling those into the diff- to the different days, doing like the just the ongoing like daily tasks that I have, meetings, and then at the end of the week, usually Friday, sometimes Saturday. I'll do a review. And like I said, not looking at it as a judge, but as an observer, be like, okay, well, Monday Matt thought he could accomplish this. And how did Monday Matt do? <laughs> you know, what what was the result for for Matt on Friday as as I'm reviewing this on his behalf, of course. And kind of creating that little bit of cycle for myself, because then I can be like, okay, well, I went pretty hard this week. I didn't do all the things. So maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. Or maybe I was a little too maybe, you know, just observing. I only tried to do like a couple of things, but I could actually do like three or four. I could probably do several things. And so now I can look at the next week and say, okay, well, let's try and pile it on a little bit more. Let's try and crank up the volume and see what we can get to. You know, I have I have to laugh. Um, Mike, um, it seems like almost every guest we have on the show that actually like gets work done and ships products starts with, let's look at the week and make a rational list of things I can do. I mean, it seems yeah. like everybody gets to that <laughs> point through different means and so everybody has different tools and everything, but it, it is, it, I love the fact that that's just such a common theme among people that like to really actually get their work done. I agree. And, uh, I have a related question to that because as you're talking about what you're able to get done and, and kind of grading yourself on how you did. How do you measure at the beginning of the week what you are going to attempt to do? Is there any sort of indication as to how big you think this task is going to be? Or do you just kind of feel it out and whatever feels right, that's what you put. And then at the end of the week, you'll look at it and take a mental note. Oh, I guess, you know, that task instead of two hours, that's one hour for next week. Right. Yeah, it definitely is the latter at first of kind of feeling out a task like I'll and this is your your question Mike is a really common one with uh like viewers and students uh in the courses and on the channel is 
They're like, okay, well, you know, I have the, I have this goal or I have this task. How do I know how long it's going to take? And I say, I don't know how long it's going to take you either. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and get started with it. And yeah, that can be kind of frustrating at the beginning. And, and it is not kind of, it is very frustrating at the beginning and it can continue to be frustrating. But I find that, you know, with a lot of things, the more that you try and consistently start and get as far as you can on the work, you get better at estimating the time and also like looking at and saying like, okay, well, I thought, I thought this was, you know, a single task, but actually it's probably more like two or three kind of smaller tasks. And then you can look at it and say like, okay, well, like say, say a, say a blog post or even a, any, even a YouTube video, probably a better example for me. It might be one thing to say like, okay, well, I got to get a YouTube video out this week and it's going to take me five or six hours to do that, which you know, like over time, I've kind of understood that's about about what it is for me. But at the beginning of that, I would just say like, okay, well, let's do let's do a YouTube video. And uh, I would maybe, you know, get get to it at the end, but it might have taken me eight or 10 hours initially. But I'm also looking and saying, okay, well, I can actually now kind of deconstruct this into a bunch of different like smaller smaller parts, which is another obviously really common like task and project management step because it's, you know, it's outlining the video and then it's, you know, kind of setting up the shots and then it's actually filming and then it's editing and then it's, you know, title description, thumbnail, uh, tags, all of those things. So now I've also realized that they're like for a YouTube video, they're really like three or four kind of sub primary subtask to the overall goal or milestone of creating that video. And I can look at it now and say, okay, well, I can probably chunk in the shooting and editing at these two times. And the title tag thumbnail are all going to be at this time. And I can, yeah, I can figure that out a little bit easier. But I do think like if you're if you're not used to doing this, then the best thing is just to dive in and get as far as you can in the time that you have, which goes to like a lot of times what we think about when it comes to like goal or task accomplishment. I I think of it in these two like pretty simple like systems. One is you can work on a task, like you can make your goal that completion of the task. Like in this example, it's you know, say you know, just finishing that YouTube video. So I'm going to keep working on the YouTube video until I'm done, no matter how long it takes. Another way, and usually something like writing or maybe maybe even a YouTube video is a little bit easier with this, is you can also say like, okay, if I'm looking at it instead with a time-based system, then I'm just going to write as many words as I can within an hour. And that's going to be like, maybe I want to write a thousand, but I only got to 500. Well, that's okay, because the actual like goal or objective for me was to just... It was just to be at the screen for an hour, no matter how how far along I got. So those are a few different ways of thinking about it. I think early on when you're getting into like, you're trying to figure out how much time it takes you to do something, just giving yourself a time block to work on it and be like, okay, well, yeah, I was able to get this far. Maybe I got a little more distracted than I thought I was going to do, but I was able to get this far. Maybe I can do a little more the next time, but I should probably think about where I can find another hour in in my week to knock this out there's so much to unpack there and i think that the beginner mistake when it comes to task management is because i've seen people do this where they set up their OmniFocus, they have all their tasks and they put time estimates on everything then they try to work based off the time estimates that they set and obviously it doesn't go according to plan and then they quickly right. give up <laughs> trying to yep. estimate how long something's going to take so there's 
obviously a time tracking element to this where how you think you're spending your time may not actually be how you are spending your time. You mentioned the time in front of the screen. Even that, I would say that there's a difference between time spent in front of the screen and time spent when you are running something like Freedom where you're blocking all the distractions or you physically can't open your Twitter app where you think you're just checking it for a minute, but you end up being there for 15 of 15 minutes of your your hour long writing block right. yep, and ultimately exactly. the the big thing i think um and we've talked about this on the show quite a bit david and i you and i both kind of do this i think is that time blocking that seems to be the the sweet spot for me where it almost doesn't matter what the size of the thing i'm going to try to do is i'm just going to put it on a list and i'm going to carve out the time to work on it and i'm going to make as much progress as i can like you said and then uh from there you can look back at the end of the week and say, how did I do? How did Monday Matt do? Monday Mike do? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just having the the intention set and then doing the thing, not worrying about the ultimate outcome, almost creating the habit of the the practice that's going to produce the work is more important than setting the goal of the finished YouTube project or the published article or podcast, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, James Clear talks a lot about this. And the first person that I actually heard it from is this systems, not goals thinking was from Scott Adams, who is creator of the Dilbert comic strips. And, you know, he talked about this a lot as you just set up a system for yourself. So whether that is and like fitness, writing, fitness really lends itself to this kind of thinking also of saying, like, okay, well, I have this time blocked to go to the gym, go for a run, whatever it is. And if you're looking at it from a time blocked system, then like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run for 30 minutes, no matter how far I get. Now, if you just sit down and look at your phone, now, like that would kind of be the equivalent of like uh, looking at looking at Twitter when you're supposed to be writing. But if you just, you know, if you just go out and you do it for 30 minutes, you walk some, you run some, that's fine. But you can also think of it on you know, the kind of flip flip side of like, I'm going to go out and run three miles no matter how long it takes. And that would be an example of the task system. And looking at it from that outcome, rather than saying you want to like, achieve a particular like end goal, that I found is really useful. Something that I do use the bullet journal for, uh, just to tie it back in is that I'll look at it and say like, okay, you know, what's what's the objective? What is the time or task that I need to block out? And this is usually a little more useful. This kind of thinking is usually a little more useful for me in terms of like my quarterly goal setting and saying like, I want to create a new course this quarter. What what do I what are the milestones I have to hit each month to make sure that I'm on track? Then what are the weekly deliverables that I need to have? And then what's the system that I need to set up on a daily or like every other day basis that helps me get to that end result. Yep. What's the habit I got to create? Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just by nature of showing up and doing the thing and the time or the task that I've given myself to do it, I'm very likely going to like achieve some, some variation of the end result. Yep. So important to call out here, I think, and then we can, we can move on from this if you want, David, but the thing you are measuring is whether you followed through with the intention that you set aside for that time. It is not a quality judgment on the end result right yeah back to that judgment piece absolutely this episode of the focus podcast is brought to you by pingdom start monitoring your website performance and availability today and get instant alerts when an outage occurs or a site transaction fails 
Use offer code FOCUS to get 30% off. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience, and no matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience, so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability. This means you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. You can get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code FOCUSED, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first purchase. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of FOCUSED and RelayFM. I'm also curious with your bullet journal system, how do you handle developing and capturing ideas? So you mentioned the bullet journal is kind of the the productivity piece where you do a little planning. And I know you've got the field notes where you're probably capturing things. Uh, you've got the the journal where you, <laughs> you freeform at the end of the day. But if you have something that you just want to develop further, where does that, where and how does that happen? Yeah, so this is where the, where the digital and the analog start to mesh for me because I will usually do some kind of like initial outline slash brainstorming in any any one of those, usually not the daily journal notebook, that's just for the daily journaling, but whether it's field notes or whether it's, I do have like an ideas slash notes collection for the, for the bullet journal people out there, a collection at the end of my bullet journal where I just kind of put in these kind of ideas and early, like early sparks of, of uh, things that I could do. And then usually I am, if something has legs, then I'm, or I just have some energy around it, then I will usually, not usually, I'll migrate that into Notion, which is my kind of overall productivity app of choice, at least for my personal work and idea generation development. And that's where I'll start to build it out some more. So that's where I could start to, you know, like categorize different to-do lists or say, you know, use almost like Scrum or, you know, Kanban style boards to say, you know, this is, this is, uh, hasn't been worked on yet. This is in progress. This is completed. You know, these are the different things that I have to do. It also allows for more, obviously for, for editing, for collaboration if needed, and just for gathering different, like different types of content or media types that I might need in order to like fully realize the idea. Yeah. Notion is a really powerful app. Uh, I am interested in the, uh, the Kanban stuff. What does that look like for you? I messed around with that when I was trying to create a, a, a publishing schedule for my myself. And I've have experience with Scrum. You mentioned Scrum too. And I kind of set that up with like the story points and everything. But how do you use it for, for that? What does that look like for your system? It looks a lot like you would see like for a Trello board uh, for people that are you know familiar with that. But I use it for both courses and for YouTube videos. So I'll just use the YouTube video, uh, you know, example now, cause it's a little, it's a little higher end of mind for me, 
but I will have like a list of general video ideas that are in one column. And that's basically, that's just the idea column. And then I'll have a filming, editing, and completed uh, piece. And then like, like you said, from the story points, and I, I'll also like clarify saying I'm not incredibly familiar with it, but I do have like, I normally have for YouTube, and I'm starting to really build this out more in 2020. I try and focus on a particular theme of either productivity or bullet journaling each quarter. And so the first quarter of 2020 is really focusing on the basics with the bullet journal. And I've been going through a series on that, that I have a few more videos in. I've done them on time tracking, goal setting. And so I'll, I'll still look at it kind of, and then I'll, so I'll kind of link together and try and carry that that thread of the story and the theme throughout all of the videos. Um, and so I just have different columns and I just drag them across. So when something moves from the idea, the idea board over into the filming, then filming into editing and then editing into into published or shipped. That's that's the way I'll kind of navigate through it. And it's very similar for courses as well. Like I might just have something that's in the outline stage and then it's in the writing, writing or filming stage. And then same thing, editing. And it's like, okay, this is completed. So, so you talked a little bit earlier about time blocks and I'll admit uh, time blocking is my kink. Uh, but the uh, but you did a video a couple of years ago, I believe, uh, where you had the 10 block in your journal. And I know that was a very popular video. And I think it's just a great idea. Could you explain <laughs> how that works? <laughs> yeah, of course. So I've been doing time blocking, I think the way that most people think of it for a really for a really long time, which is essentially to me, like looking at it and saying like, okay, I'm going to spend two hours on email today. That seems like a lot, but sometimes it is. <laughs> I spend two hours on email. I'm going to spend two hours on this creative project. And so you kind of look at it just like, kind of like fitting these blocks of your day together. I do really like that because when I'm doing time blocking really well, it allows me to be more present with the thing that I'm doing at that time because I know I have enough time blocked out for other things. The genesis of the 10 blocks video that you're referencing is that I felt like my time blocking was completely out of whack and specifically with the work that I was doing at ConvertKit at the time. And so the the idea of the, the 10 blocks came from, okay, if I separate if I kind of chunk my week into these four hour blocks, and if you're working a, you know, normal ish 40 hour week, then you're going to have 10 four hour blocks. And it came from like, again, some, some really healthy conversations I was having with my manager and director at ConvertKit at the time. Cause we were both uh, like, well, I guess maybe I was feeling a little more overwhelmed, thinking like, okay, we've got all these things to do, and like, are we spending time on the right things, and are we making sure that, you know, kind of the, even like the Eisenhower matrix, like, are we giving too much time to like high urgency, low importance tasks, and what do those look like? So we were kind of looking at it saying like, okay, here are the, I was looking at it saying like, here are the primary projects and responsibilities that I have at ConvertKit, and I have 40 hours to complete them. And so if we're saying that I need to like shift some of my responsibilities or more of my time into something like, I think at the time I was working on uh, customer acquisition and migrations. And so if I need to spend more time on that, because that takes up a lot of time, then maybe I can't spend as much time on like 
ongoing customer support. And when I did, so I did time tracking and time blocking and realized that even though this goes back to other things that we talked about, just with like task management, I realized that whereas I would have thought and did say like, oh, well, you know, I only spend an hour or two a day on customer support. It turned out that I was spending a lot more time than that, you about double that time. And so we were looking for ways like, okay, if you're going to spend a minimum of four hours on this particular project, how can we make sure that you're spending, uh, say, four or five of your 10 four-hour blocks each week on customer acquisition and migrations? And maybe that means you can't be in as many meetings. Maybe that means you can't spend as much time on support. Maybe that means like some of the you know, future projects that you might be outlining and getting started, maybe those have to wait. And so it's really a way of looking at the kind of big picture projects and blocks that you have on a weekly basis and saying like, okay, if I need to spend, say, four-ish hours on something to really get get into the groove with it, like maybe spend half a day on it, not necessarily all at once, then where do those, what needs to go away so that I can make time for the things that are in that that kind of important, urgent, or just like the the important tasks that are going to make the biggest progress for for me and for the business. So I hope that that makes sense. No, it does because I think one of the things that time blocking can do, in addition to um, creating time for work, it can also put boxes around work. You know, um, email is my favorite example. If you're overwhelmed with email create a one hour time block and say, that's as much time as email gets. Right. And then see how much you can get done with the other time. And I thought the, the genius of your 10 blocks was the intentionality of it to say, okay, at the beginning of the week, I got 40 hours. I got these four blocks or these 10 blocks of four hours. What are the things that are going to be these be used for? And I think it just creates this, this forward thinking intentionality, just like you were talking earlier about when you plan your week, I think it can be an excellent tool for people who get to the end of the week and say, what just happened, you know? Right. I think it's also a great tool for people who maybe are in a work situation where they don't get to call the shots on how they spend their time and they feel frustrated with all of the additional things that they get asked to do. Just start tracking your time and say, okay, well, I'm doing eight hours doing this low leverage task. What do you, can I stop doing this in order to do this other thing that you're asking me to do? Right. And that was, that was what really, Mike, that's a great point because it's, that's what really kicked it off for me at ConvertKit. And I'll clarify to say like, I had a great manager. I had a really good working environment there, which was the reason that I was able to kind of put this together and say like, okay, well, the highest leverage thing that I can do is make sure that these, you know, high impact customers have a great first experience at ConvertKit. And that takes up a lot of time. And so I can't be in as many meetings as I am. Like I'm so, I can't be in as many meetings as I am. I can't be like answering support tickets as much as I am for like, you know, just kind of general everyday questions. I need to be able to dedicate more time to this if you want me to do it really well because I don't want to get to the end of the quarter and be like, "Hey, what happened with this?" Like, well, you know, I, I was trying to do you know, I didn't want to, you know, point the finger at my manager either and be like, "Well, you know, you you asked me to do all this stuff." Meh. And Whereas I could take more of a proactive approach and say, look, these are the high leverage things. This is what I want to make sure I get done. So we were able to work on that together. And he's basically saying to me like, okay, well, 
you'd probably need to spend five or six blocks, five or six of these blocks on migrations and acquisition and whatever else you can get done. And it basically came out to, uh, as you were saying, David, like spend an hour a day working on support and however many tickets you can get through. Great. Thank you. That's it. Move on. Well, I think the uh, the time blocking thing is awesome. If you are listening to this and you don't understand it, we'll put a link in for that specific video. It's just a great uh, a w- approach to this stuff. I think it can really help. Um, let's talk a little bit about we've been dancing around time tracking the whole episode. Uh, most nerds do time tracking digitally, but you do it with analog tools. I do. So that is one of the main uses of the field notes notebook for me so that I can just keep it in my pocket. And for me, because I'm not tracking, I'm tracking my time to raise my awareness of the things that I'm doing. And, you know, sometimes by, you know, sometimes not doing, unfortunately, but it allows me to just see that really quickly. uh, Because I'm not, I'm not tracking time necessarily to report it back to anyone like I don't have to do that. I did have to do that in a, <laughs> in a past role and that was one of the tipping points for me being like okay, well maybe I'll just do a little bit of this myself. Um because the way that I do time tracking is not like on a minute to minute uh basis of saying like okay, you know, what's the exact thing that I'm doing from 7:15 to 7:25 unloading the dishwasher. And what I'll do instead is I'll just kind of look at it in 15 maybe 30 minute blocks of time that kind of lowers lowers the amount of time that I have to like really be doing or like checking in and tracking the time. But I'm just thinking about like in those 15 to 30 minute chunks, what is the main thing that I was doing that I was concentrating on that I was spending time on? And so like, if we are like, say, say it's family time, I'm not saying from like 6.15 to 6.45, we're having dinner. And then from 6.45 to 7 o'clock, we're trying to get the boys up for bath. We're, I'm not doing it like that. It will probably just be more like 6 to 7 is dinner time, like food and dinner time. And then 7 to seven to 8 is just like bath or family time. So it's at a really, it's at a really high level of just thinking about like, what is the main thing that I was doing? And trying to focus on making sure that I'm using those chunks of time really well. Now, I could also look at it, like say, like all of those things before sounded really nice, but I could also look at it like earlier today. I have a lot that I have to do today, but then as I was tracking my time, I just kind of like perked up in the middle of kind of being lost on the internet and be like, well, I thought I was supposed to be like outlining, outlining a course today in this 30 minute block, like I, in, in this preview that I had, but I'd actually started, I'd gone down the rabbit hole of looking at fancy mechanical pens. And so now I have to kind of write in my time tracking. I could either write just waste or I could write pin research, which sounds better than it was because I was just, I was, yeah. (laughs) But when it comes down to it, I was distracted. And this is where like time tracking to me is more of a reactive kind of reflective process that when when done best i'm using it in conjunction with like a daily the the daily preview that i have that time block that i have but yeah for me time tracking is not a minute by minute like super ocd thing it's more of a reflective 
uh, process of looking back and saying like, okay, well, you know, you you intended to do this thing. Your intention was to write this outline so you could make more progress on a course, but instead you were doing pen research for 30 minutes when you have, you of all people have no need for another pen. <laughs> and so that's where I can look at it and be like, okay, well, as I'm doing a review at the end of the day or the end of the week, I can look back and say like, okay, all those times you feel like you don't have enough time look back and let's find these like two or two, three, four, five chunks of 30-ish minutes where you didn't do the thing that you were intending to do. And, you know, we all, I'll, you know, couch that a little bit by saying, you know, we all need mental breaks and there's nothing wrong with researching pins and there's no, nothing inherently wrong with that. But even to tie that into proactive time blocking, I have, I try now to even like schedule some of my distraction time being like, okay, yeah, I'd, I have a little time right here. And if I really want to get another pin, I can look at it then. I remember you talking about scheduling your distractions at, at Craft and Commerce. I thought that was a really interesting idea. And uh, you also mentioned at Craft and Commerce, uh, I think you maybe were talking about the Pomodoro method, but you mentioned you use the time timer. Is that still a tool that you use? I do. I have a little one uh, right on right on my desk right now. And so I, it can definitely be used in in collaboration with with the Pomodoro technique. And I will, I will often do that, but yeah, it's something that we've started to use a lot as a family you know, with like two young boys. It, you know, my, yep. my four-year-old doesn't have a concept of time necessarily. Like he, he understands now what like minutes and hours are. But if I said like, you know, he has no idea what the difference between like 10 and 20 minutes are like in reality. And so like we flip on the time timer and it's like, okay, we well, have 20 minutes to watch or you need to read for 20 minutes. Um, yep. But, and I use that for, I, and now I use it for myself as well. I'll <laughs> say, you know, I'll just, I'll try and get rid of some of the tools and I'll often do it at the beginning of the day with, uh, with my initial like preview and bullet journaling is I'll put my phone away. I won't be in the same room as my computer. Uh, but I'll just, you know, just put that time timer on and get to it. Well, that has transformed my family and I have you to thank for that <laughs> because ah, we have, we have five <laughs> kids at home. And four boys who are 12, 10, 8, and 6, who all love video games. Yep. So video game, managing video game time was very stressful up until the time timer. We were uh, limiting awesome. it to 30 minutes a day. But my wife is the one who homeschools them. And I wasn't the one managing it. And it was super mm -hmm. stressful on her because she's giving them, okay, you got five minutes, you got to wrap up. You know, and they're always trying to extend it. And right. we had a family, we had a family <laughs> meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we had a family meeting. We're like, okay, this isn't working. We got to fix this. What do you guys think is fair? And we, uh, we said, we don't want to have to manage this at all. We got the time timer. Okay. When this is, when this goes off, basically you're done. Uh, and actually you have to, we have it set. So you have to wrap up before the timer goes off. If, it, if you're still playing while the timer goes off, you have lost it for the next day. But we asked them, like, what do you think is fair? And they said an hour a day. And we're like, okay, well, we'll try it, but we can't manage this. And so it's been a win-win for everybody because they get to play more video games. We don't have to manage it. And it was pretty much overnight. Like they have it's yeah. just sitting below the TV. And it's been great because they can manage themselves. And fundamentally, we believe that this is training them to manage their time uh, as they become older it's going to be more and more important. I mean, you talked about time tracking being the, the kind of thing that you had to do 
at at one point for somebody else and now you don't, I would argue that the reason you don't have to do it for somebody else now is because you learned to do it the right way and you can right. <laughs> do it yourself and you don't have to somebody managing you. But Right. A, a couple points there. Number one is a uh, parenting tip of Focus Podcasts is timers and children. I mean, my kids are grown <laughs> now, but even when they were little... I realized that the oven timer was like magic. If I would tell them you have 10 minutes and I would watch my watch and I would uh, exactly at 10 minutes say your time's up, they inherently would not believe me. But <laughs> if I would put the oven timer on, it like the oven timer buzzer was like the voice of God to them. It was like, okay, mm -hmm. it's up, time's <laughs> up, that's it. Uh, they never contested yep. it. And uh, even when they were very little and that, that was a trick. Uh, second thing, going back yep. to what you said about keeping yourself honest on and your time tracking with your your daily plan. A little trick I've been doing as an experiment for the last six months or so, and it's been working out really well for me, is I write down on a page the hours. Like I'll just write five through like 11 or five through right. 23, um, you know, using a 24 hour clock. And so the night before I actually put the blocks in what I'm going to be spending my time on the day. I know what my, my plan is for the next day. And then as the day goes by, so that those numbers are down the middle of the page on the left side is the plan on the right side is what happens. Yep. And, uh, you know, and it's very interesting. First of all, when I started doing it, first started doing it, there was a part of me that wanted to lie to myself, you know, that wanted to say, no, that happened. No, it didn't. You know, <laughs> you, know right. you got mm -hmm. yeah. you got to sit and be honest with yourself and, and fill it in as you go through the day. But at the end of the week, it's such a great resource to have, you know, right there, in front of your face, the plan versus the execution. And there are some days where a client thing comes up and the whole day gets set on its side and you write that in and you you say, okay, well, that's that's life. You know, when you have clients, that happens. And then there are other days exactly. where you, you will see like, oh, I played video games for two hours. I doubled Mike's kid's <laughs> limit that day when I was supposed to be working on something that was important. And so, so it's a great uh, way to kind of keep yourself in check. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> Yeah, you would have lost it at my house, David. <laughs> I, I would have lost it for a day. I mean, but, you know, <laughs> I don't want to mess around with the uh, the Schmitz family rules. So I don't want to get in trouble. No. <laughs> this episode of Focused is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store, or maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog or even launch a podcast. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do any of those things with nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you do need any help and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name that matches your idea. And all of those award-winning templates that Squarespace comes with are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've got a project I'm working on right now, and I'm using Squarespace to build the website for it, because even though I know how to spin up web servers and set up hosting and upgrade plugins, I don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff. And it's really freeing to just be able to focus on the content itself and the thing that you want to produce without having to worry about all the technical duct tape that's going to hold it together. I've also been blown away with the quality of the templates that Squarespace comes with. It's really easy to choose different fonts and different colors and get your website to look just the way that you want it to. 
And if you really want to dig into the code and customize it to make it look just the way that you want, you can do that. But I've been very impressed with how much you can do with Squarespace out of the box. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash focused. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash focused and the code focused to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Uh, something else you, you talk about, Matt, is this idea of progress over perfection. And I think we kind of talked about how that applies to time tracking, but how does that apply to your creative process and your work as well? It's something that I is it has become a mantra for me because it, Ira Glass talks about this. He has he has a great monologue about it of the reason that you get into like creative work is because you have good taste or you you think that you have good taste. But the thing that you want to make doesn't match the ideal that you have in your head. And so to me, telling myself, you know, make progress over trying to be perfect is my way of acting on that uh, every day and with every video. There are always things that I want to try or to make a little bit better or spend a little more time on, or I would like to make them you know, just, just a little different almost every single time. But the idea of just continually putting the content out there and seeing how people respond to it does help me see like little different ways that that I can, that I can be better, but it just, it lets people know that I'm, you know, I'm committed, that I'm around, that I'm here, I'm here to make stuff that's going to be helpful for you. And if I wanted everything to like be perfect, then maybe, you know, maybe I would have put out like, you know, a dozen videos instead of over a hundred at this point. Um, but that's something, like I said, it's something to remember, to remember every day, even like, I just right now, like for example, I started doing a couple more videos this year where I'm out and about a little bit, kind of like classic man about town vlog style. And a few people, like several people said in the videos, like, hey, you know, this this keeps up the pace of the video a little bit more. I like how you, you know, like interject different scenes. I really like it. Keep it up. And so now there's a piece of me that's like, oh, well, now, now I got to get out and about <laughs> a lot more and I got to do more. You know, that takes more editing time. And it would be easy for me at this point to be like, well, that's that's the new, like a little bit more perfect way of doing a video. So they they all have to be that way now. And I will like I know I know that that's a thing that resonated with people. So I'm going to I'm going to implement it as much as I can. But if it means that a video that is for the most part ready, except for like some of these like about town scenes, but that might take me another week or two to really get the way that I would quote unquote like it. Then I'm just going to ship the video and I'm going to try. I'm going to try again next time, and so that's that's the way. Like spe specifically for the YouTube channel that I like, pra I practice that. It occurs to me you mentioned that uh, you've shipped 12 videos in, or you if you would have had this perfection mindset, you would have shipped 12 instead of 100. But I would also argue that the quality of the 12th video would not be where the quality is after you ship the 100th video either, because oh, yeah, you learn a lot from just going through the the process. I remember hearing Dan Sullivan talk about this concept of the gap versus the gain, which 
fascinates me as it pertains to progress over perfection, where we tend to visualize the ideal, where we think we should be. And as you were talking about the, um, the, the, the standard that we hold against ourselves, uh, and then when we create, we try to create something, we realize it's not as good as the, the standard we had in our heads, that, that can be discouraging. Uh, so if you have this ideal of what you think the thing should look like or what po- or where you should be, and you compare it to what you are able to produce or where you are at now, you can measure that gap and you can get discouraged because, oh man, I'm not as good as somebody else is doing this stuff. Or by this point, I thought I would have right. X. But the more valuable thing is to look at the the journey that you've come from when you shipped that first video and say, this is my hundredth video and it's better in this way, that way, and the other way. And you can see from where you started to where you are now, you've got the growth just from going through the process, from developing those habits, from shipping consistently. And that can be encouraging as opposed to discouraging because you can see the growth that's happening and it propels you to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's... Wasn't there, I, I think there was a study of photography students, I think it was, and, you know, one group was told, like, go out, you have, you know, a month to take the perfect picture. So go out there and take the perfect picture. And then everyone else, they said, like, just go out there and try and take as many pictures as you can. You're judged based on the volume of the pictures that you take instead of, like, the the quality, as it were. And then when they presented the photographs for, like, judgment <laughs> or grading to like uh you know a panel at the end of the month all of the top rated photos uh were from the were from students who were just told take as many pictures as you can mm, interesting so so matt i mean it's very impressive the the volume and quality of videos you produce and i know you've got jobs in addition to that and you do consulting and do all this stuff i'm guessing once in a while you do fall off the horse um what causes you to fall off and how do you climb back on? Yeah, this is, this is something I do uh, plan on talking some more about because, yeah, full disclosure, I have a, I probably haven't daily journaled in like three or four weeks at this point the way that I, I like to. Like I'll occasionally sit down and just, as Hemingway says, I'll just occasionally sit down and like bleed onto the page uh, of whatever's like going on in my head. But in terms of a consistent practice, it hasn't been there as much as uh, I've wanted it to be. And the way that I get back into it, a, a good way, say, from like a journaling perspective, and this, you can play this out for any kind of like habit or practice that you want to restart, is for journaling, I just try and write one line per day. And I know uh, our, our mutual friend, Sean Blanc, has talked about this, but just the one-line journal, uh, just to kind of build, build those reps and that momentum back up. And you can think of it very similar for anything else that you want to do. Like there was a stretch last like kind of late summer of 2019 where it had been a few weeks since I posted a YouTube video and I was feeling kind of you know feeling kind of bad about it and feeling like out of practice and feeling like I had lost some momentum and I was like well you know what am I supposed to talk about now but what I did was I was like okay well I'm just I have I have a topic in my head I can go through the comments or the emails that I get from people and pick out something that I know I have an answer to and uh, use it, use that as inspiration. And this, I'm basically just going to record a five to seven minute monologue slash response uh, to that person. I'm not going to do any overhead shots or any like journaling in it. I'm just going to say like, hey, this is a problem that I, this is a problem or an issue, a challenge that I've noticed in the community. And here's what I think about it. And I just posted that as as a video. 
And both of both of those things uh, have proven really useful to me as like forcing functions to kind of get back get back on the wagon is to try try and start small and be consistent with it. So I did that little video series for like three or four weeks while I just kind of got got back into a rhythm and then just kind of kept going from there. And momentum means so much with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the, to put that placeholder momentum, I love the idea of saying, well, I'm going to write one sentence. And if you're listening, you're saying, well, that's silly. That's not really a journal, but it is. And it's yep. momentum. And you'll sit down to write one sentence and you'll find yourself writing three pages. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, just, just get started. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Matt Ragland, so thanks so much for coming on the Focus Podcast. Like I said, I am a fan. I like the stuff you're making. I think it's such a great contribution. It lets all of us think we can get into bullet journaling or just journaling in general without having to uh, get an art degree, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> but also, I think just the the thoughtfulness that you bring to it and the kind of the motivations you have are, are great. Now, you've got a bunch of stuff going on over at your website. Like, I believe, is the 25-hour day still running? 25 hour days is currently closed, but if you just go, probably the best place to go is just my, just my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Matt Ragland. And you'll find links there. There's also mattragland.com, which I'm in the process of moving that site from WordPress over to ghost. But I do have, I do have a 25 hour days, like starter sessions course that's available too. Um, so if you go to if you go to 25 hour days you'll see a couple of links to to those things but the big things for me uh definitely definitely YouTube and then the website yeah well check it out gang there's lots of great information here if you like the focus podcast you're going to like Matt uh we are the focus podcast you can find us over relay.fm/focus um if you have any uh, thoughts on the show go ahead and weigh in on the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. We've got our own little wing there. And thank you to our sponsors today, Indeed, Pingdom, and Squarespace. And we'll see you next time.